Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, and again, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad that you've joined us this morning, Sunday morning, Mother's Day, or whether it's Tuesday or Thursday, whatever day of the week it is. We're glad that you're with us. I want to um, celebrate some things that have happened during this week. First of all, we, we asked you to uh, make some donations of non-perishable goods for Echo. You have come through. Right now, I'm looking out in the, uh, the hallway in our entryway, and there are non-perishable goods there. If you want to continue to do that, please do that. We would love to overwhelm Echo with generosity and continue to support the, um, the people in our community. And because it's Mother Day, Mother's Day, I want to, uh, and, and you have to watch, and so you can't skip this part, I, I want to give a shout out to my own mother, the one that raised me and cared for me and loved me, my, my mother, Cheryl Freeman, Richardson, Texas. Thank you, Mom, for your love and your care. I also want to thank my wife, the most beautiful mother in the world. I'm sorry, Moms. She, she's captured it for me and my boys. Uh, thank you, Melissa, for your love, your care your devotion, the ways that you have shown me grace, you've taught me forgiveness, and what it means to truly love. This Mother's Day, let's take some time to thank the mothers in our life uh, for the impact uh, that they have made. Thank you, moms, for all the things that you do. Now I've got to fix my screen here. Hey, uh, if you want to grab a Bible, if you would grab a Bible, we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2. And I'm going to jump right into it. We're going to read this passage. And let me give you a little introduction about what this section is all about. Because it's a difficult passage to read. Minor prophets are not fun. It's not the Mother's Day passage you go to. But it's where God has us and the Spirit of God is going to move through it. And so we're going to trust it. But let me tell you what it's about before you read it so you get a little bit of context. See, Habakkuk is talking to God and he's upset because good stuff has gone bad. Today we can relate. Good stuff has gone bad. And God says to Habakkuk, listen, I'm not idle. I'm going to astound you. I'm going to do what no one would expect. I'm going to use this wicked people. They're called the Babylonians. In this passage, it's actually called the Chaldeans. They're going to come into Judah and take you guys off into exile. And the reason I'm going to do this is to discipline you so that you would come back to me. And in chapter 2, God is the second time responding to the prophet Habakkuk. And he's giving them, him this series of woes series of woes that are stated towards the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, from the mouths of their captors saying, even though right now it seems that you're winning, even though injustice and brokenness and sin and evil is reigning, the captors are going to lament for you because one day God's promises will come and when they come, they will come with judgment. And so these words, they're words of judgment, but they're also words of warning because the, the, these days haven't come yet in the lives of the Babylonians. And it's also a warning to God's people not to have the same heart that we're going to discover in the Babylonians. So you guys got that? Hopefully you're with us. Let's jump in. Habakkuk chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Whew, the word of the Lord. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects 
as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall now plunder you for, for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, the cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your own house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life for the stones will cry out from the walls and the beam from the woodwork will respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people should labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you. Utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be, keep silence before him. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. The writer of Proverbs says that pride, it goes before destruction. Meaning you know that destruction is coming when pride is reigning in the human heart. And the story of chapter 2 is the warning of pride and the warning of idolatry. You know, in difficult times, um, it's easy to run to things that just simply give us comfort. I know I found myself in those positions leading to frustration and, and anger and not really pressing into God, but instead pressing into the things of the world, whether that just means checking out and watching Netflix for hours upon hours or whatever that looks like for you going online and shopping. The book of Habakkuk is saying times like this are designed so that we would press into the character of God. Because see, what Habakkuk is describing and what this book pictures for us is I think what we want. I think we want to know ourselves. I think we want to understand our strengths and understand our weaknesses. I believe deep down we want to be men and women of compassion who know how to speak into the suffering and the difficulties of others, even if we're not even on the same page with them. I believe we are people who want the wisdom of God and want to know how to speak truth into the lives of others in a way that lifts up instead of tears down. See, none of that is possible unless we go through difficult times in which good things turn bad. Unless we go through suffering, we will not be men and women of compassion. We will not have wisdom. We will not understand ourselves. In this time, we have to press deep into God's character. And here's my fear. 
What if we go through this time and we all gather back together and all of us are the same? Nothing's changed. We've spent this time in solitude and in quarantine, doing whatever it is that we're doing, and yet we haven't drawn closer to God. We haven't wrestled with him. We haven't taken our frustrations. No, all we did is went to social media complaining about what everybody else is doing instead of silently standing or kneeling or crying out to God and recognizing that he is in his holy temple. And we simply need in this time to be silent before him so that we can hear his voice and respond to what he's saying to us. Are we in that place? The worst thing that could happen right now is not that this thing could continue, it's that we would remain the same and not fall deeper and deeper in love with the God who has warned us so often and is patient with us and wants us to be with him. See, in this, in this passage, there, there's two ways that we can respond to difficult times. We see that in verse four. He describes, behold, his soul is puffed up it is not upright within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Two ways to respond right now. You can choose to respond by being puffed up, which is going to lead to that which is not upright, to that which is broken, frustration, anger, blaming others. All of that comes out when we're walking in pride. When we're walking with God, what comes out is righteousness. Righteousness always brings life. Righteousness brings joy. And impressing into God, what we see Habakkuk doing in chapter two is he's frustrated in chapter one. He's doubting God. He's wrestling with God. He hates what's happening. He's in that place of frustration. It's okay to walk through it, but he doesn't stay there. He goes up into this high tower and he says, God, I'm gonna wait for you here. I don't care how long it's gonna take. I am going to wait and be patient before the Lord. That's where Habakkuk is. Now in chapter two, we see what pride does. And we see pride is really exemplified through this wicked people, the Babylonians. We see their desire for glory, their desire to crush and destroy the nations. And so in chapter five, God gives us a description of what pride does. He says, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he is, never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations, collects as his own all peoples. What does pride do? Pride always betrays us, just like wine. Wine promises much, and maybe one glass of wine is fine, but two, three, it starts betraying you. You start thinking of yourself as more attractive. You start assuming your problems are smaller and smaller. And in the end, after time goes on, there's a hunger and a greed within you for more and more, and it ends up in restlessness. Pride is the same way. Pride comes out of an inner emptiness, a desire to cover ourselves with something that makes me feel loved, makes me feel significant. But the truth is, is if it's not from God, scripture calls it an empty glory. And the more we run to empty glories, the more we start to become greedy inside for something more, something better, a new relationship, a better relationship, a better house, better, more money, whatever it is, we run after it. And in the end, we become like Sheol, like death. We are restless, just sucking relationships and things into ourselves. That's a picture of pride. And see, pride is at the heart of all human evil. In times like this, what I notice is that we love to blame someone. 
And we love to blame the people that we would have blamed before the pandemic, if you're with me on that. It's not like we're blaming a new kind of people. It's, it's as if we're just walking in this time and, and we're blaming people. Now, why do we do that? Well, in part, because we don't want to see the problem in life begins with us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said it this way, that the dividing line, the dividing line between good and evil runs down the center of every human heart. The dividing line between good and evil is not, here's my group and there's that group, and if this group would just get on the right page, then everything would be good. No, that's pride, because that comes out of an inner emptiness. No, the dividing line runs right through me. And there is a pride within God's people as well that is just as destructive as what we're going to see uh, Habakkuk, God describe in the book of Habakkuk. There's a quote I want to read from a guy named Lewis Smedes. And he describes pride this way. He said, pride in the religious sense is an arrogant refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. Pride is turning down God's invitation to join the dance of life as a creature in his garden. Wishing instead to be the creator, independent, reliant on one's own resources. The fantasy that we can make, that we can make it as little gods, leaves us empty at the center, attacked by the demons of fear and anxiety. See, God is saying, woe to him who doesn't open up his life to me in days of trouble. If we walk in pride in days of trouble, we will continue to walk in pride when days are good. And so what's gonna happen in verses six and following is we're gonna pick up these five woes that are directed towards the pride of Babylonian. So let's pick it up. Verse six, shall all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing riddles for him and say, woe to him. Oh, where is it? It's right there. What is not his own for how long and loads himself up with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Those awake who will make you tremble then you will be spoil for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you, flood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in him. What he's saying is one day Babylonians, the captives that you have overtaken, the cities you've destroyed, the trees, the land that you have overrun, they will rise up and bring judgment on you. And in fact, that's exactly in history what happened. See, I think it was in, Sometime in the 580s BC, that's when the Babylonians took uh, the Judean people into exile. But in the, I think it's 538, 39, the Persians come in and they wipe the Babylonians out. And the Babylonians were like the Romans of their day. They were powerful, they were mighty, they were strong. They had cities with great architectural beauty located today in present day Iraq. But when you go to those locations today, here's what you're gonna find. You're gonna find nothing. All the majesty, all the glory, all the splendor that came on the violence and the backs of others, all the things that the Babylonians pursued back in their day, in their time, in their hood, all that stuff that what they went after today in their pride, all of it is removed. And it's because the captives rose up and overtook them. The Persians came in and their name is no longer known. That is the woe of pride. And see, every culture, every country raises up some idol of greatness before its people. When we serve that idol, it leads to destruction. 
God is calling us in humility to humble ourselves before him. And so in verse nine, he goes to a second set of woes, directing, uh, talking about economic injustice. This is woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, who sets his net on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beams from the woodwork will respond. Not only will the captives cry out against you, your own walls will speak judgment based on what they've heard. If your walls could speak, what would they say? If you could go back to verse four, would they see somebody who's puffed up, somebody who's focused on themselves? Or in this time when God has called his people to be ambassadors, not for their own agendas, but ambassadors for the gospel, will our walls see us walking by faith like Habakkuk standing in the watchtower saying, God, I want to see life from your perspective. I want to see others from your perspective. I don't want to simply get what I need for myself today. I want to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's the second command we cannot ignore. I want to learn today to love my neighbor as myself, as ourselves. Because the reality is so often we elevate certain commands to ignore the greater commands. And what God is calling us to, what would our walls say today about the ways that we're walking with God? And then verses 12 through 14, we come to the center of these five woes, the pivot point. It says, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people should labor merely for fire, that nations weary themselves for nothing. Unjust labor is not from God. When those are used or people are used or injustice happens in the globe, in our own country, it's saying that is not from the Lord. Woe to him who builds their life on the backs of others and doesn't care about their suffering. In our own country, in this week, this has been a, a week of in many ways, people crying out. Crying out because they're tired of the COVID-19 pandemic. Crying out because they've lost loved ones. And also crying out because of injustice. We know the story of the Carolinas, and I think his name is uh, Ahmad Aubrey, and the injustice that many people feel today. And it's injustice that some of us are kind of waking up to. A reality that's true in our country and true among many people who don't see our country the same way that we do. The question is, how are we gonna enter into that? Some of us might say, well, I'm not gonna enter into that at all. Well, see, God's command to us is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The way we love God is by pressing into areas of injustice and not being silent. And if we're not gonna be silent about the injustice in the globe, which means we can't be silent about abortion, we can't be silent about poverty. We can't be silent about racism. We can't be silent about the mistreatment of immigrants. We have to care about all the things that God cares about. Because see, here's the truth. Though injustice reigns today, we can't be silent about it. The truth is one day, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What it's saying is when God's presence comes and when it even comes through us, it makes things right. Because see, one day, God's presence will cover, cover the globe, cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And when that happens, all injustice, all evil, all brokenness will be made whole. 
we should be doing that today because you and I as believers are filled with the temple of the Holy Spirit. The glory of God dwells in us, which means we should always move out and address injustice in the world and seek to listen to it. We are to be the people who weep with those who weep. That is the compassion of God who came to a people. Think of what Jesus did. He didn't come to a people who agreed with him. He didn't come to a people that were in his political party. He didn't come to a people who lived like him, looked like him, did what he did, valued what he, no, Jesus came to us. Who are we? We were the dead in transgression and sins. And if that's what God has done to us to display his glory, it is a utter, utter brokenness for the church not to move out into the world to display the glory and the compassion of God, even if we don't understand it. See, that's the story that brings hope to pride. Now, as he goes on in the fourth woe that we're gonna discover in verse 15, he says, woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. Woe to him who pours, you pour out your wrath and you make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink. Yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. Notice the language he uses. Twice he uses the word shame, and twice he uses the word glory. The Babylonians, in their empty pride, went out in the world to make a name for themselves. And when they worship something other than God, when they worship their power, their great houses, their money, their success, all of those things, in the end, the things that they live for glory will one day come back in shame. Why? Because the glory of the Lord is going to cover all things. And the things that we're chasing after, the things that we're worried about, the things that bring anxiety and fear into our lives, they're going to look insignificant in the light of God's beauty and majesty as it covers the earth. He's saying that when we live by pride, we live for things that in the end, they lead to shame in God's presence. And not just shame towards those we take advantage of, but also shame in the way we take advantage of the earth. Listen to this in verse eight. For the violence done to Lebanon, and Lebanon refers to the trees of Lebanon, will overwhelm you as the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. See, in this section, he's saying, you took advantage of people. You gave them alcohol so you could gaze on their nakedness, so that you could take advantage of them. But not only have you taken advantage of the bodies of others, you've taken advantage of the trees. You've taken advantage of the earth. You've taken advantage of cities. Injustice is not just directed towards people because all creation is God's creation and he loves it and longs for it. We've also taken advantage of the earth. And that injustice cries out likewise against the prideful who think they can come in and just do what they want because they have that kind of greatness. And as I said, every country is gonna raise up some value, some idol to say, this is what true greatness looks like. What does greatness look like in the kingdom of God? It looks like the king of glory coming not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. One who comes to care for God's creation, his people, the city's life. This is the antidote to pride. And then finally, after he addresses pride, he goes to idolatry. Here's the last woe. And watch this. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies for its maker trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. 
Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. God is mocking the false idols and gods we worship. Now, I know today many people think of ancient people and these wooden gods, these metal gods, these things they fastened with their hands. And even today in some temples, you'll go there and you'll see an image of the God that they worship. And you may look at that and say, you know, that's ridiculous. Why would they create something with their own hands that they would worship? Why would they put power in something that is simply made of materials like wood and metal and gold? It doesn't make any sense. And yet in Ephesians 5, 5 says that greed, in fact, is idolatry. What is greed? Well, greed is the love of money. It's the love of wealth. I think it's the love of cars, houses, stuff, movies, all of that stuff. It's the love of things. What is money? Money is simply a piece of paper a man has made. Money is something that human beings have placed value in. Money is something that we say gives us power and significance. But you know what? It's like wine. It's a traitor. When we get enough of it, what do we feel? I got glory, right? I'm doing well. Things are going well. I got got security. I got hope. I got dreams. And yet we all know that money can only take you so far. There's a point at which money will not hug you. It will not love you. It will not say kind words to you. Because when calamity comes, money is an empty void. And it causes us, as it said in verse 5, simply to become restless. The truth is, in our culture, we have more idols and more objects of worship than in some ways any other culture in human history because we live for comfort. We live for our own pleasure. We live for our individual values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All of those are opposed to the glory of God. Because see, God created us to find joy, not in what he has made so much, but in who he is and in what he has entrusted to us so that we can be a reflection of his character to the world. Do you see how we turn that backwards? Instead, we use God to get things from him. Instead of recognizing everything we have is from him, and he has created us in such a way to be his agents in the world, to care for the things he's given us so that others might see the character of God, his glory, his goodness, his justice. See, the problem in the world is not simply out there with the bad decisions others are making. The reality is Jesus came to address the problem inside of us. And unless we address the plank, unless we look internally and dive deep into the character of God, unless we get in the high tower and stop complaining and start waiting, unless we get to verse 20 where he says, oh, that's not it. That's a song we're going to sing. You guys are excited for it. I know it. But that's not where we're going right now. I, I, let, I let the cat out of the bag. Here it is. You guys ready? Now you're ready. Is all a setup for this amazing verse. <laughs> but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What does God desire of us? To love mercy, to love justice, to walk humbly with our God, to love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself, to recognize that God is in control. And that he is living and alive. And compared to the idols, he speaks, he lives, he creates, he brings life. Are we walking by pride? And what's coming out just leads to death. Or are we learning in this time to walk by faith? And walking by faith means humility and it means repentance. 
It means acknowledging, God, I, I need you. I, I want to come into your presence in the morning. And simply, I want to encourage you this week, just take 10 minutes. Read a scripture and simply be still and silent before the one who is in his temple who reigns over creation and reigns over this problem, this pandemic, my fear, my anxieties, my decisions for tomorrow, if you'll simply spend 10 minutes, read one verse, two verses, and then be silent, still before the creator of the universe. And then not only do it in the morning, take five minutes. I'm telling you five, this, this is all we gotta do. In, in the afternoon, at 12, at five o'clock. So if you got eight, 12, and five, that's it. Simply to be silent and still, to breathe in and say, God, you're, you're king and you're reigning over all things. I am not. I want to empty my heart of the broken cisterns, the broken idols, the pride, and I want to pour in your grace and your glory. Because see, here's the solution. The solution that is found in this passage towards pride and idolatry, we've already addressed it, but it's in two places. It's in verse 14 and it's in verse 20. And again, this is great as thy faithfulness. And that's a great song but that's not where we are right now. Here's what we need. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, our hope is God is making all things whole. And the beauty of what Christ has done, hear me on this, is in Christ, you're a new creation. You know what has happened? What has happened is not just the earth, but my soul, my emotions, my intellect, my body has been filled because of Christ with a knowledge of the glory of God. And it is covering me like the waters right now cover the sea. We are the temple of the spirit of God. He dwells in us. Do you know your identity? And do you know that what God has done in you, he is one day going to complete when he comes back and makes all things whole. That is the agenda of the kingdom today to bring God's healing and wholeness to life. And then finally to realize, and here we go, verse 20, that he is in control. God is in control. Now, this is what's hard about books like Habakkuk, very difficult for us to wrestle with. On the one hand, he's saying God is in control, but what isn't God in control of? He is in control, and he is using the evil of the Babylonians to do something that will glorify him and bring about our good. I don't like that. I don't like the idea of thinking that God uses broken things and God uses evil. And yet the reality is I don't like it because I can't see it. I can't understand it. I can't get my mind around it. I think of the tragedies and the evils that have happened in our own culture and society and life, and I, I don't understand it. So what I have to do is I gotta get in the watchtower. I gotta get still. I've gotta get silent. I've gotta see things from God's perspective. And I've gotta realize I am not God. And all that anxiety and fear comes from trying to be God. I need to see he is in control. But on the other hand, here's the other side of that. He's in control and yet there's nothing that we do that he will not address. There's nothing he, that we have done, there's no evil injustice that he will not address. That God is in control, he uses the brokenness of life and yet we are responsible for what we do. God is sovereign over all. And here's the good news on that. You can't mess up to such a degree that you miss his plan for your life. You need to hear me on this because what's his plan? His plan is to bring about glory in your life. You may miss opportunities. You may miss experiences. You may miss joy. You may miss the fullness of the spirit and experiences, but God is going to work through your brokenness so that he brings about his plan. All things are surrendered to his plan and to his will. And on the other hand, we can't mess it up 
All we can do is trust that God is at work within it, which means we've got to empty our pride and by faith trust in who he is. You know, the glory of this story and the glory of what we find in Habakkuk chapter two is there is one who was at the right hand of God the Father, who in in Philippians chapter two emptied himself of the fullness of God and became human flesh for us. The writer of Hebrews says, it was the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. What is it describing? Realize the glory the Babylonians were after, the glory, honestly, that I think sometimes I am after and you are after, is the glory that Jesus had himself. And what did he do? He emptied himself of his glory so that those who were pursuing shameless glory might be covered by his beauty, his majesty, his love, and his grace. Jesus, who was full of glory, emptied himself of the very thing that we chase after in this life. And what he did was he took on the shame that we deserve. Remember that from the Babylonians, the shame that comes from chasing after false glory? He took the shame that we deserve. Why? So that we could be covered with the acceptance and the glory that only belongs to him. That's the beauty of the gospel. When you cry out to God and say, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone, here's what happens. God clothes you with the glory of Jesus. He clothes you with the love of Jesus. He clothes you in the identity of Jesus. He clothes you in the power of the spirit that comes from Jesus. And he gives all good things to us. Why? Because Jesus is good. And Jesus is righteous and his righteousness becomes my righteousness. Guys, and here's the point. When you have that kind of inner fullness, that's called an inner identity, an inner joy, an inner wellspring. You can walk out into calamity and bring others joy. Because you're not looking to the world and to the conditions and to this pandemic and to what others are doing. You don't need to blame people anymore. Why? Because you're wrapped up in the fullness of the love of God and it liberates you not to look to the things of the earth as your solution. Because the reality is, listen, evil falls on all of us. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's unjustified. We don't know, but God is in control. And if I walk by faith, he is going to work out goodness in my life if I will simply trust him. What are you chasing after that's not going to lead to glory? In the end, it's gonna lead to shame. What right now do you need to set aside so that through this time you dive deeper into his character, into his grace, into his love? Church, the world needs us. The world absolutely needs the church to be the church. And my fear is right now, most non-Christians know the church for the things and the ways we engage in the world. And they reject us because of the ways we engage, the attitudes we bring, the spirit that we bring, instead of rejecting us for the gospel that we believe, which is a gospel that I am so sinful Christ had to die. And yet I am so loved that Jesus was willing to die. May we in this time be known for what we're supposed to be known for and known for those who, whether we agree with others or not, we go out into the world to bring justice, mercy, and to walk gently and humbly with our God. Church, this is what the world needs. Not not another person crying out for what's wrong, but another person willing to enter into the lives who cry out to show them the love and the mercy of God. We can do it through the spirit. He can do it through us. And it's the gospel that is the power that sets the captive free. I hope you're with us. I wanna pray for you. Father, I thank you that the gospel is the power of God for all who believe. 
It's the power of God to give us salvation to know you. But Father, it's also the power of God that gives us salvation over the things that are seeking to rob us of joy. And so I pray for brothers, sisters all across the globe today that are maybe even watching us, those that are in Evergreen or in Texas or in different parts of our country. Father, would your truth, your glory, the majesty of who you are, the truth that we are arrayed in the righteousness of Christ, we are arrayed in the love of Christ, the identity of Christ. That should be an inner fullness that allows us to fit calamity with humility and allows us to enter into seasons of lack with an overwhelming joy that desires to move out into the world to sacrifice for others. Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve. May your people who are arrayed with your glory capture the vision of what it looks like to live according to the gospel. We love you, Father. Thank you for the work that you've done in Jesus' name.